0: time Mrs. Pitman. Do
1: I have to? Uh, well, yeah, we need the room again at four. Come on. It
0: is Harvey here?
1: Yeah, yeah. He's in repose. He oh, looks great. Okay. Let's
2: move along. That's
3: Hello, and welcome to the Amazon Women on the Moon segment by segment podcast. Uh, I am the host of this particular episode. My name is Joel Bakker, uh, and my guest is the co-host of the Judging Book Covers podcast, Ollie Brady. Ollie, thank you for joining me again. No, Joel, I, I don't want you to thank me. I'm, I'm angry at you. Okay. Are you going to roast me?
2: <sighs> I'm not going to roast you, Joel. I'm just going to tell the listeners what happened. Uh, I don't know if you guys, because it's been a few weeks for you, but it's, it's been mere moments for myself and Joel. And in the last episode, Joel said that there were several movies from his childhood that he'd gone back and he didn't enjoy. And I asked him to tell me in between. And listeners, if you'd have heard some of the movies, like, I get it. I get it. He doesn't like Emperor Strikes Back. That's fine. He doesn't like Terminator 2. That's okay. I get it. I get it. It doesn't hold up, Joel, he said. But when he went for Gandhi,
3: I was oh, my God, my mentions, my mentions are going to get ratioed. <laughs> Oh my Twitter following! My Twitter following of ten whole people is going to, to, to abandon me.
2: <laughs> They're going to be so mad. Nobody comes for Gandhi. You just don't do it, Joe.
3: There's an old Mark Marin bit about signs of bitterness, and one of them is <laughs> dismissing landmark achievements. And he says something like, "Hey, you know the Godfather? It was okay.
2: That is that is a genuine sign of bitterness.
3: <laughs> yeah. That so that I feel like yeah that that's if you're if you're at the point where you're you're like it and i 100 cards on the table i've never seen gandhi it, it might be it might be great it might be terrible I have no idea but it, it is definitely one of those uh one of those sacred cows
2: yeah uh cards on the table also never seen gandhi
3: <laughs> maybe that should darren maybe that should be your next podcast gandhi cast Oh my God. If he did a minute by minute on Gandhi, I, Darren,
2: I want you to say, I'll say this to you now. If you do a minute by minute on Gandhi, I will do 50 of those minutes. Right, I've right never watched you. it and I'll volunteer. I will just be like, I'll help co-host. I'll, I'll edit them. I'll do whatever you want. But if you do one and by the time this episode finishes, I'd have come up with a name for that podcast. It's the only thing we can do. So listeners, if I'm really quiet, it's because I'm thinking really hard.
3: <laughs> if you're trying to come up with a name for the Gandhi cast. Yeah, I volunteer as tribute as well. Darren, if, if you want to do a Gandhi cast, I'm, I'm in. Uh, but we're not discussing Gandhi here today, although we have already discussed Gandhi a bit. We are discussing Amazon Women on the Moon and the sketch that we are... I, I almost call it a skit every time. and I know that that's like... <laughs> that <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, against the rules you're not supposed to call it a skit but uh the sketch that we were discussing is roast your loved one uh which is directed by Joe Dante uh written by the uh team of Michael Berry and Jamal Holland which as we discussed in our previous episode uh have a background primarily writing for television and actually writing for roasts so they they are drawing on their their personal experience with this particular sketch and the sketch features uh, once again the talents of Archie Hahn as Harvey Pitnick although he's motionless for the entirety of the sketch his his talent of remaining incredibly still incredibly still yeah um Belinda Belaski as uh, the bereaved Bernice Pitnick uh, who is very funny in this bit and also a a murderers row of borscht belt era and early television era comedians we've got rip taylor we've got slappy white we have steve allen charlie callis henny youngman jackie vernon uh who's who of comedians who were probably better known in the 1950s but i'm not gonna lie i was i was very impressed as each when the the sketch this sketch began and steve allen was introduced my initial thought was oh they're gonna have someone doing steve allen and then when it was actually Steve Allen, I was truly, truly impressed. Like, oh wow, Steve Allen is actually in this movie. And then with each remaining uh, comedian who was is brought to the stage, I was, I was again, a impressed that some of these guys were still alive at this <laughs> point in time. Which sounds like a backhanded compliment, but um, I mean, I genuinely did, did live the life. Like, indeed these these guys were were all these guys were all. I mean, think I think Rip Taylor just passed away a couple of years ago, so. These guys are all very, uh, very hardy souls and that they they are in on the joke and appear in this this sketch and are all by and large pretty funny was uh, impressive to me. And also featuring the talents of one Robert Picardo, who is a Joe Dante regular and has appeared in many of his films, including Interspace and a very memorable role in Gremlins Two: the new batch. And is probably better known to nerds like myself as the holographic doctor from, oh gosh, which Star Trek was it? Star Trek Voyager, it's, I think. It's Voyager. Um,
2: yes. I, I, for a second there, I thought you weren't going to say this. You were going to be like, oh, you know, he's from dante pressure It's like you better say the holographic doctor. You better say the holographic <laughs>
3: doctor. I, I and anyone of, of of our age, as we as we realized in the previous episode, uh, Ollie and I are about the same age. Um anyone of our era who was something of a nerd has is aware of of him at least in part, if not primarily, through through that role. And I honestly didn't realize for many years that it was the same guy who is the security guard in Gremlins 2, the new batch, who is uh, seduced by the Lady Gremlin. Which No, it's uh,
2: it's one of those funny things that happens when his name pops up in the credits, the post credits, or the pre-credits even in some movies. And as soon as you see Robert Ricardo, it's like, all right, it's the doctor, the holographic doctor. And you're expecting it to be the holographic doctor. And then you realize that, no, well, it's 15 years ago. He probably had a head of hair. Right. He probably didn't look the age he did when Voyager came out. So what was Voyager, 97? So That sounds right, yeah. Yeah. So it stands to reason it's not going to look, he's not going to look exactly the same. But I think he's barely recognizable in this role. To it, it took me a few Harry minutes. Lutzen, it took me a Walter.
3: few minutes to figure out that it was him. I'm not going to lie. And, and he's a good character actor too. So he he just like steps into this persona in this sketch as I, I guess I should probably say what the sketch is about. So the the premise of this is that uh, it is following on the previous uh, Harvey Pitnick sketch in which Pitnick was so thoroughly roasted by the critics on critics corner, uh, that he suffers a heart attack in front of his television and dies. Uh, this is a comedy folks. Um, (laughs) and then in this, this sketch, uh, we are taken to his, uh, to his wake, uh, which immediately turns into a celebrity roast in which several, as, as previously mentioned, uh, comic luminaries of the 1950s and 1950s, uh, Did I say fifties twice? I meant to say fifties and sixties, take the stage and, uh, proceed to, uh, rip this poor dead guy to shreds in front of his wife and, and children, uh, who as the, as the bit goes along, seem to find it more and more humorous. And then, uh, the, the grieving widow widow takes the stage at the end of the sketch and proceeds to completely slay the audience with her own, uh, roast of the, the assembled talent and her dead husband, and the final sight gag is the... You see that the funeral has actually been held over for an additional week. Presumably due to the, the, the popularity of watching these guys <laughs> yeah. com- completely elbow drop this guy.
1: <laughs> okay, family up front
3: on the
2: um, Yeah, at, so at the end of the last episode, we, we finished up by saying that... The last episode, the, the Critics' Corner, is really just a setup. So it's six and a half minutes with very few jokes setting up this... And this starts with jokes, like right out
3: the bat. Right out of the barrel, yeah. Everything's care of yeah, this this is everything definitely uh, a one-two. Yes, th- this is rapid fire <laughs> compared to the previous, the slow burn of the previous sketch.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this is a week. So let's have fun with it, huh? Come on, everybody, have a great time.
3: And and as you mentioned, having the previous sketch and then as this film is structured, which is a a series of sketches. Having some interim space before we get to this one is a really interesting, uh, like, setup and payoff bit of callback. That we have this one sketch where that seems like a blackout gag of the guy being, you know, mercilessly criticized until he dies in front of his television. And then to unexpectedly have it returned to that and have yet more abuse heaped on this guy now that he's dead by a series of of, uh, professional comedians is I, I imagine watching this film for the first for the first audiences, watching it as it was meant to be seen, which is the the entirety of the film all at once. It must have come as a surprise to see these characters recur. And also for for it, it, it is a setup and a setup and punchline kind of uh kind of structure for the previous the previous sketch, which is a little slower. And then this one, which, as you said, right out of the gate, is just rapid fire comedy. Even from the very beginning, Robert Picardo leading the grieving widow to her seat and informing her that they—I believe he says something along the lines of, "We have another, uh, yeah. we have another funeral at four o'clock, so we kind of need Do to." Do I have going to go us. in? Yes, we have got the room booked for four. We got the room booked for four. Yeah, it's it's like the the mercilessness of the comedy and the jokes start right away. And and the, then the next
2: thing he says there is, "You can start dating again. Don't worry about." It.
3: Yeah, you're They're still young. young. Yeah, and the the transition that he makes from, you know, uh, attempting to con, you know console sort of this this grieving widow to like unctuous grinning MC introducing the the different comedians to the stage is a a great bit of actorly sleight of hand where he goes straight from uh, so this is like so let's have some fun with it huh it just immediately shifting into showbiz mode.
1: funeral home, where many of the nation's top comedians have gathered to roast our guest of honor, the late Harvey Pitney. Please welcome
0: Rip
1: Taylor. <laughs> Slappy White, Jackie Vernon, Penny Youngman, Charlie Jealous <laughs> and our roast master, Mr. Steve Allen,
3: is was to me very funny. And
2: the juxtaposition of the widow in the front row looking shocked, and the second row and third row, the people look less shocked because obviously it's not there direct you know it's not their husband who's dead but as soon as he starts introducing the the talent on stage um the the widow still looks shocked but you can see the people in the back room like oh oh hey, yeah we got to
3: we got those are gonna be a like, good show this yeah is a, this is gonna be good like i'm looking forward to this so uh i'm i'm curious um as you may have perhaps been able to tell by by the sounds of our voices i i am american uh whereas ollie is irish so my my question for you, Ollie, is: Had you ever heard of any of these guys before? Have any of this talent that is on this stage? Did do any of these names translate across the pond, or are these solely American performers that are known do. to Americans? Okay,
2: there are two. Right, uh, you've already mentioned both of them: Rip Taylor and Steve Allen. So, Steve Allen, I think I'm not 100 certain, but I think he might have had uh, a talk show at some stage. Yes, and he was a frequent guest on another talk show over here in Ireland by another guy whose second name was Alan. So it was just one of those things where like, oh, you're like the American version of me. Uh, except that like our version of, of Allen was like a classy dude. And Steve Allen always came across as, you know, the crass alternative. Like, <laughs> not that he was, like he's, I'm not saying he was that, but in comparison to Clive Allen, he just doesn't, you know, he, it's not the same it's not the same level of polish shall we say and then rip taylor but mostly i know rip taylor from being like in wayne's world little bits you know small bits and like indecent proposal i think he's in and he was just one of those actors who always kind of showed up and he always had that same level of not quite gravitas but also you could tell that a lot of other people had a lot of respect for him when they're talking about him and oh like you hear like batch State stories and stuff like oh he was just cracking us up but other than that, I, I had no idea who anybody
3: else on the stage was. A lot of the, at least some of them, I knew the names, but I do not believe I'd ever actually seen the person who the name went along with. Uh, Slappy White and Jackie Vernon. I was aware of their names just based on, like, if you know, read a little bit about comedy, you'll read these names showing up as, like, belt era Comics. I think Jackie Vernon might be referenced on an episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, um, but I had never seen them. Had no idea what they looked like. Had no idea what their acts were. Um, Charlie Callis, uh, I believe, has appeared in a. He's in High Anxiety, the Mel Brooks movie, uh, in a yeah. small role, and I think that that's possibly the. Only, I knew the name, um, but other than that, that was that was about it. Uh, And Henny Youngman, I knew of, again, by the name and as the originator of the take my wife, please joke, (laughs) Um, which is one of those jokes that feel feels like the kind of it's almost like we discovered language and then someone discovered the take my wife, please joke. It's like it's that (laughs) old and that like you should look at a stone tablet and that joke should be on it. it. It feels like something primeval. Um, and yet it still hits it still hits still works all these years
0: later
2: still works I know I mentioned The Office in the last one but it's like that's what she said like that thing (laughs) will always be around from now on 300 years in the future this podcast will be played back by some randomer who finds it and they're like oh I was trolling through the uh, the the fourth dimensional interwebs and I came across this podcast they're talking about The Office and they, they said something about uh, that's what she said, but that's what we say in mass. <laughs> like well, instead of uh, amen, it's like that's what she said. Like, that's that's what she said. Yeah, and, and the take my wife joke is similar to that. It's just so ubiquitous. It's it, unlike something like my wife, uh, which greats. Like like now I can't hear that. Like it it it's never. I don't think that's going to come around to being funny again. I think it had its moment in the sun and now it's gone. And maybe hearing it once would do it, but I don't think it will ever be popular. Whereas that's what she said. And oh, take my wife. They're all like, they will be there forever.
3: Yeah. They are. They are kind of like the hieroglyphs of comedy. They are, they are forever going to forever going to live in, in the, uh, the structure of. Uh,
4: and, another
2: artist. one from, from the 1980s that I think is going to be evergreen. And, Will always get a little chuckle every time, like not as big a, a laugh as it did at the time, but um, I'll have what she's having.
3: I'll have what she's having. Yeah, yeah. And it everyone will, knows. It what always you mean
2: bring now. it up. Yeah,
3: yeah. Exactly. There are some things that are evergreen. Is a really good way of putting it. That just kind of uh, will will linger in the strata for for all time. And uh, Rip Taylor was. I think from the same as you, I knew him from his cameos and stuff by and large. He's in uh, either Wayne's world or Wayne's world two, or possibly both. I can't really remember. And um, he appeared on the kids in the hall uh, at least one time. And yeah. again, just, I mostly knew him as like this guy wearing what appears to be a fairly obvious hairpiece, um, tossing confetti around and, uh, you know, uh, Kind of blowing in with an enormous amount of energy and enthusiasm. I have to say, of these, I, I don't know how much we are really supposed to find these guys particularly funny as they're delivering these acts because they, they these are very like Borscht Belt era, um, or, you know, old school comedy act. I will say, Rip Taylor actually did make me laugh in in this segment of the various comedians who got up and performed. I, I was more amused by his routine than any of the others.
1: And here he is, our man of the hour, Mr. Harvey Pittney. Oh, oh, oh.
4: Thank you, ladies and mourners. <laughs> I
2: have to admit that I kind of got a chuckle out of most of them. Um... I'll also tell you a, a a small story. Uh I I think uh Rip Taylor looks like Dennis Farina. Um oh, yeah, I can <laughs> and, completely see that. And that's why I probably pictured the two of them as being the same person. Like I remember seeing Dennis Farina in like a cop drama, uh, you know, because it's Dennis Farina and that's what he mm, did. That's what he did, um, yeah. And then, and thinking to myself, Oh, this guy can do funny too. But um but yeah, I, I find most of this funny and I thought it was I thought it was a great a great indicator because if this is 87 88 around about that time so it, sometime between 86 87 88 right uh comedy was was developing that much harder edge mm-hmm. and we'd already had eddie murphy's raw um saturday night live was going through you know g- g- some people like describe it as a nastier phase where it was more bite to the jokes like sure Bill, Bill Hicks and the likes of that were, were becoming more and more popular. And then to see these old guys get up and make like incredibly obvious jokes like there's six or seven, between the five of them we see on, on stage, there's six or seven of them make erection jokes.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the, the building and blocks still, of comedy.
2: Exactly. And it still made me, every single time, I was like, yeah, they're still hammering this home, unlike... Unlike Harvey, who couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. There, there are some things, and per, it is perhaps partially because, and, and I don't know if you, one can make gender assumptions in regard to comedy. There do seem to be things that men always invariably find funny, and fart jokes and erection jokes definitely tend mm-hmm. to 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 land hard with with certain guys, and I'm not going to exclude myself from that.
4: That's all right, Harvey. Don't get up. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, be that as it may, and I doubt if it was, tonight, we are here to pay tribute to a close personal friend, Harvey Pupick. I'm sorry. uh, Pitnick. Harvey Pitnick. Harvey was a man, my friends, who was the same in life as he is in death. A stiff...
3: So yeah, these, these are some, as you say, very, very obvious, very direct jokes that, that still work. That still work. There's just something fundamentally funny about these things.
4: We had, I'm sorry to make this announcement, we had two disappointments tonight. Milton Berle could not make it, and Rip Taylor could. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. And the guys telling them, know how to work what they're doing like you took t- t- the rip taylor you were saying um when he steps up to the podium and he calls out that somebody else had made a joke that he was going to do
1: thank you thank you so much steve charlie said harvey keep it down thank you oh well there goes that act
2: and he threw the cards away like that's one of the most like how many times have we seen somebody like i was starting a speech and i just threw my speech away to go off the cuff like it's happened in a billion different things and yet still I was like, huh, that's good. And then when he tells his first actual joke
1: President couldn't be here Harvey so he sent a wire. <laughs> Tell him it's a, never mind.
2: His next response is to throw a bit of confetti which he's already done but mm-hmm. he's doubling down on the move and then says to the audience Which
1: is an audience or a funeral now pay attention please. But I'm a little nervous because Harvey was a personal friend of mine and there's not a person in this room that Harvey Pitnick did not touch. I must say, he touched me for forty bucks and Steve for twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I don't dance. This is it, you see.
2: I'm not going to sing and dance. This is it. This is it. Yeah. And like, I am a i I'm. I'm totally convinced that wasn't in the script. That was just him sitting there going, "This is what I would do to work a crowd."
3: I, I have to wonder. I mean, in in terms of the the writers of this sketch. And, and as, as we mentioned at the, the top, these guys had some experience writing for, for television, for roasts, they both have credits as uh, for Dean Martin celebrity roasts. So they have some experience with this, but I do have to wonder like, to the degree to which these comedians were simply allowed to do their act and come up with these gags on their own, because they all, they all take to this very, very naturally and very, very, easily and this just feels like yeah maybe that just gave these guys carte blanche like you would do if you're doing a roast what kind of jokes would you do and gave them the opportunity to go up and do their material
1: but i do feel for his widow bernice that was a romantic marriage (laughs) she learned everything about sex from emmanuel emmanuel was their gardener I'm sorry. I better wrap it up now, folks. You know the old axiom and show business. Get off quick. <laughs> like Harvey on his wedding night. <laughs> Could you die? I gotta go. Goodbye. Thank you so much.
2: Have you have you ever watched The roast, Joe? Uh, either in real life or one of the... I think, the Comedy Central still do them?
3: Comedy Central was doing them for a while. I think that they've kind of died down a bit. Um, I have seen a few bits... From the Comedy Central roasts. I am not a big roast fan. And yourself?
2: I I'm thinking I've I definitely saw the David Hasselhoff one that was on Comedy Central because for some reason it was shown on just regular Irish TV. Interesting. And I don't know why. And I hadn't like Nikki Glazer and Snoop Dogg and people like that were there. And like it's not a very particularly Irish thing. Mm. And it's not a particularly British thing that it is. But recently, and I think it must have been in response to the fact that all of these ones were being shown on, on British TV probably Like the Comedy Central ones were being shown over here a lot. Uh, I saw a group of YouTube, British YouTubers, do a roast of each other. And I genuinely, it did genuinely got chuckles out of me. And I don't even know them that well. Like I, right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit down to watch their YouTube shows. But some of the jokes that they were making, like in comparison to what was said here in in this movie, uh, like they were hard hitting. Like, prop- like like I I found out afterwards that one of the lads had uh, had like a, a misdemeanor um, conviction for drug possession at one stage, mm-hmm. and they went for it. Like they went after him all the time constantly about oh calm yourself down you better not oh he's back from the bathroom he's going to be very jazzed you know this sort of stuff (laughs) um like and i was thinking god that's oh it's that's that's bad like uh, 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 like this is heavy hitting stuff right and i always find that the 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 one the comedy center one at work like you could tell that those people had been told what the jokes were beforehand Mm -hmm. like David Hasselhoff just sits there and takes what everybody says, and then gets up and has what is clearly a scripted, like a heavily scripted series of jokes for him. Comeback, to make. yeah, comebacks, and everyone sits there and laughs like, "Oh, it's amazing! Look at how funny he is!" And it just feels artificial. Whereas this, the the one that I'd seen before didn't. But based on what you were saying in the last episode, had has roasting been like on American TV for years? like even back in the seventies, eighties, nineties.
3: I know that the roasts, the celebrity roasts were a thing. Um, like even prior to them being, um, recorded or televised in any way, shape or form, which my guess would be that prior to any recorded roast is when you got the really vicious gags, like the, the really merciless stuff probably came when they were like, yeah, this is never going to leave this room. So I can say whatever I want. Um, I know that there are some recordings of the uh, like roasts of Johnny Carson, roasts of Dean Martin and things like that from the late sixties, early seventies. I don't know if those were televised or not. I, I would need to, to research that. I, I know that there yeah. are some recordings of them, but I don't know to what degree they were. They were made. Available Cause I know you the said public. the writers of the movie had written for roasts. So I kind of assumed that they'd been a, a televised thing for years. It likely was. I'm not sure what the, the format was for that. I know that if you search on YouTube, you can find like there are some pretty good clips of uh, like Jonathan Winters roasting Johnny Carson and, and things like that. And there's I'm presuming this stuff was also available on albums because that was a more uh, a, a lot of comedy stuff that was too raw for television was available on on record. Um, yeah. Yeah back in the, back in the sixties and seventies prior to, you know, HBO and, and, um, uh, standup being available on, on film. Th- these uh, were James Franco.
2: James Franco had one.
3: James Franco. Yes. Um, and, and
2: Justin Bieber. I know, I know this fact, cause I remember seeing them advertised. I didn't watch them, but I remember seeing them advertised.
3: That's right. Justin Bieber. And, uh, oh, Flava Flav had one. Yeah. I, there were, there were, <laughs> This was a thing for for a while. And I, I don't know to what degree it had fallen out of favor in the 80s. If maybe it was still going on and just was not... It was just a live event where people... Where it was not recorded or publicized. There was something in the 90s where... I believe it was a roast of Whoopi Goldberg. Where yeah. Ted Danson got in trouble because he did a routine in blackface. Ooh. And this is... So this is, I gosh, my guess would be like 94, 95. So it's like he can't make the excuse that he didn't know that wasn't acceptable because this is the mid 90s. By that point, you should know that blackface is not a great idea. Um, By the same token, it was a roast. And so there was probably this general idea of like anything goes. You can do whatever you want. But that was kind of the first time I remember being even remotely aware of this being a thing in the media is seeing these pictures of Ted Danson and blackface and people saying like, why did he do this? What did he think he was accomplishing by doing this, this act? Um, so yeah, the first time I was ever aware of a roast was someone getting in trouble for something they had, they had stupidly done at a roast.
2: Uh, I have an older brother. Um, I have several older brothers, but I just text one there and go, I, I asked him straight out like, cause he, he would have been, he was born in 69 uh, okay. And I asked him, um, do you remember roasts on TV back when we were kids or when, you know, when I was too small to be watching them, but he would have been 17, 18 when this came out. Mm-hmm. And he said, yep, they used to show them. He said the one that he always remembers is Robin Williams roasting Richard Pryor. And oh, said okay. It was, it was about as good as it got. Uh, and I was like, okay. So, and I said, was it just Robin Williams? And he said, no, Robin Williams had like two minutes. So, I can it, must see Williams have, so being, it must have been going on.
3: Yeah, it must have been going on. And I can see Williams being made for roasts because his his rapid fire style, like, you know, if one joke doesn't land, you've got another one coming a few seconds later.
2: Yeah, man. Robin Williams. So good.
3: Indeed. Much missed. Um, yeah. Even Bicentennial, man. No, I take that back. That's bad. <laughs> the, the man, you know, I was I was I'm trying to remember where I was having this discussion or where I was. It might have been on. A Facebook group but there we were the discussion was concerning John Candy and that John Candy is a to this day beloved figure like yeah I have never met anyone who dislikes John Candy if you talk about you mentioned John Candy everyone's faces light up they're like oh John Candy I loved him he was so funny and I I love John Candy too I, I have yet to I've never met anyone who dislikes him most of his movies were terrible yeah, absolutely I'm so glad you said that because I was about to say I'm not sure if you've seen Uncle Buck, but they're bad. Uh, And most of the the Canadian bacon. The vast majority of his films are bad. And yet, he is still beloved, and you, you don't hold his bad movies against him for whatever reason. It's like, yeah, he did a lot of bad movies, but man, he was so funny and his good movies are so good. It's like there was something so immensely likable and charming about him that we kind of just let the bad stuff go and go like, well, yeah, he made a lot of bad movies, but he's still funny. And he's he's kind of unique in that that respect, at least to me, like it, it feels like a lot of actors, if they produce a series of really egregious comedies after a while, you kind of give up. But there was something so immensely likable about John Candy that you just kind of forgive all of his bad movies and are just like love the good ones even more. Like, yeah, planes, and automobiles. Great movie.
2: Yeah, I was talking about something similar recently, but it was Robin Williams versus, um, oh, God, is the, I, Ben Stiller. Oh, yeah. okay. And what we were saying was that Robin Williams would have an unbelievably terrible movie. Like mm-hmm. just shockingly bad. Like Patch Adams, for example. Right? Oh, yeah. and I, I get that it was successful, but I, it's hard to watch. Like it, It's like your, your soul is just getting sucked out at the anti-comedy that's on screen.
3: It's really awful. Yeah.
2: But then he would go and do an interview and he's the most charming man. He's the funniest man. He comes across like the nicest man. And the interviewer would clearly love him. He'd have the audience in the palm of his hand. You'd you'd find out stories from like I mean, I did, what's the classic one I heard? Um, actually, this might have been on a podcast we mentioned in the last episode. Blank check, where they talked about when Spielberg was filming Schindler's List, when he would feel oh, down, right, he yeah. would give Robin Williams a ring. Just Robin Williams would just talk to him for five minutes and just do five minutes of nothing but wacky zany jokes, and. Whereas Ben Stiller had hit after hit after hit, and then as soon as he had a bad movie or a movie that underperformed, his unlikability as a person came through, yeah. and it was it was hard for him to recover. Now, I, I he directed *Secret Life of Walter Mitty*, and I think that's a fantastic little movie but most people didn't go see it at that stage because he'd already burned his I mean, what is it his brand it's a strange yeah. word to use with the word brand because you know that's what you would do with a brand but he burned his brand so much at that stage that it was hard for people to come back whereas robin williams has always came back like he was he was constantly coming
3: back yeah i would agree with that and it does seem like the more frequently the more we learn about people the less likeable they become like you just, I want to say it, it
2: feels like an extended Saturday night live sketch.
3: It does. And I, I think this film as a whole has a very SNL like quality to it. And, and I was on the, the like pilot episode zero of this podcast. And there was some discussion there of the phenomena of sketch films of, of movies that are just a series of disconnected or loosely connected bits. And there are very few of them. There, are the the it's either comedies like this. So you've got this one, you've got Kentucky Fried Movie, um, and uh, there was one a few years ago that none of us could remember the title of on the pilot episode, and I still can't remember the title of.
2: That, that was a couple of years, few years ago from here, from from us, or back in the eighties,
3: nineties. Uh, from from here, it was a, and of course the pandemic has completely screwed my sense of time. So it could have been 10 years ago now, but it was this kind of star. I think it was called like movie 43 or movie 42 or something. I was like just that. about to say, is it movie
2: 43?
3: Yes. An which absolutely terrible movie. Yes. Has this incredibly toxic reputation as being a, a unwatchable mess and yet features an astonishing level of, of star power. Speaking of Hugh Jackman, who, who I believe appears in it in at least one sketch. He does. Uh, Unfortunately, perhaps for him. Um, (laughs) He got a paycheck. He got a paycheck. But this is a very niche genre that kind of rarely works. Like um, the, the, in some ways, better model of these kind of films is you mentioned in the previous episode, you mentioned the Zucker Abrams team who were... We're we're partially, I believe the writers for Kentucky Fried Movie, but then went on to take the idea, it's like a sketch comedy level of jokes per minute, but applying it to kind of a loose plot, as in Airplane or Naked Gun, where it's like, so instead of just one sketch after another, you have an extended storyline, but it really is just kind of a close hanger to hang the jokes and anything can be you know any kind of logic can be suspended at any moment for for a 100%, gag 100 like
2: percent. if you take uh something like, we'll take it we'll, we'll take airplane out because it's it's too beloved to even discuss right but if you take something like top secret mm-hmm. that feels like zucker abraham zucker or that might even just been a zucker and zucker uh they sat around and had 20 different sketches about spies mm-hmm. this movie level of jokes and high quick turnover of uh concepts so you're not you're not even thinking about it for two minutes because you've moved on to the next joke exactly but but sketched or stitched together so you got a narrative whereas this feels like um this feels like and i'm i'm going to show my prejudices here when i say this uh i don't like the movie UHF. Um,
3: okay sure the weird al movie
2: The Weird Al movie. And tons of people love it. And tons of people love Weird Al. And I don't find him funny. And I know comedy is subjective. And it just doesn't work for me. But this feels more in common with UHF. Where a lot of times I don't think a a, a ton of those sketches that he's doing in UHF work together. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's what this feels like. This feels just disconnected so far. Um, But yeah, but this one particular scene that we watched, I think I thought was very good. Genuinely, genuinely got some chuckles out of me. Um, And the fact that I'm laughing at one-liners from 1950s Borscht Belt comedians.
4: But uh, all seriousness aside, we are going to lay two things to rest. Harvey Pitnick and the rumour that Charlie Callis is funny. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, a very funny man, Charlie Callis.
1: Thank you. Thank you Harvey, keep it down.
4: <laughs> today, ladies and gentlemen, we're here to pay homage to the late Harvey Potemkin, Bestaven, or Spole, whatever. Who cares? Does it matter now? And if Harvey were alive today, he'd be a very sick man.) <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, it it shows that the A, that those jokes still work and B, that these guys have good timing, that they, you know, can can sell these extremely silly jokes. And and finally, that this setup is outrageous enough that these jokes play in this this wild context of like this guy is dead and these guys are dunking on him with these incredibly old school jokes. Um, Just to to throw myself Right in the middle ground. I do like Weird Al. Not a big fan of UHF. So oh, I'm gonna, really? <laughs> I'm gonna, th- I'm gonna throw him. I'll, I'll put myself right in the middle. That, uh, that I, I enjoy his musical parodies. I, UHF feels like it kind of feels like this film in that some of it works, some of it really and some doesn't. Of it Doesn't.
2: Uh, I like a lot of his musical parodies too. I just don't particularly find him like I don't find him charming or funny or interesting when he's giving interviews and stuff like that. I just. There's just something about him that just makes me go, I'm not interested in what this guy is saying. But my, my, this here Anakin guy, I'll, I'll sing along with his version of American Pie. You're like, this guy's just not weird enough. <laughs> this he's got is, weird right in the name. He should be weirder. This is regular Al. I don't, I don't like he's a he's not a weird Al. He's a regulation Al. Not just regular, <laughs> regulation. He's normal
3: Al at best.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I'll ask about this, because we're, we're, we're running a bit long here. When his wife gets called up to the stage, how did you think it was going to go?
3: I was, I was not sure how that was. That was a genuine bit of like, huh, how are they going to play this? It it makes sense in the way that they do it, which is that she gets up and kills and yeah. like completely, and, and then the, the final gag is that like the funeral is so popular that they're going to do it again. You know, the next week because people are just dying. Literally, poor poor choice (laughs) of words there, perhaps.
4: (laughs) Bernie
3: back.
0: Thank you, Merv.
4: I mean, Steve.
0: Uh, Now... Well, I would like to inject a serious note, as uh, Henny Youngman did earlier. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say to Harvey, my late husband, as I look down at you, lying there motionless, I can only think of one thing, our wedding night.
3: <laughs> but yeah, for that actress, she strikes an interesting balance in these sketches because she seems she plays it as genuinely distraught when this yeah when this sketch begins. Like she's not playing it like comedy, or you know, she doesn't you know maybe she's sad, but she never really liked the guy all that much to begin. And based on the previous sketch that we have seen with this character, he's kind of a tool, so. You, you get the feeling that maybe she is actually better off without this guy, but the, this actress is playing it pretty. And throughout the, the different roasts comic roasts, you know, she's laughing here and there and, you know, kind of brightening up, but she's still playing it as in, in mourning. So it is a, it is a turn. It is a funny turn when she gets up and like slowly seems to, almost come to this realization of like, yeah, this guy wasn't really all that great. Was he? And then just kind of mercilessly dunk on him and for the other comics on stage for, for the finale.
2: And I love, so I, I was worried. I, I, Cause maybe this is just a 2021 sensibility. I was genuinely nervous as to which way they were going to go. I thought it was either a, she was going to get up and kill mm-hmm. or B, she was going to go up and hit it hard on her breaking down and crying. Right. And I think in 2021 a similar sketch might have had that ending with everybody else acting like oh you're a party pooper while this woman is crying on stage but the yeah, fact that I she got up yeah I could see it up, going that way too yeah, but the fact that she got up and the first joke she hits is another bad at sex joke right I think that's, that was the crowding moment where she's like oh he's so still and emotionless last time I saw him like this was on our wedding night
3: On our yeah <laughs> That and that actress really sells that gag too, the that, you know, she seems genuinely sad until she hits the punchline, which she hits, you know, with consummate as a consummate professional.
0: I'll never forget my my last moments with Harvey. As I as I took him into my arms and I whispered those three little words. Sign the will. I was there when he
2: was dying. And I kept, I was over beside him and I I just kept repeating the same three words over and over again. Sign the will. (laughs) Sign the will. They're they're good jokes. And the roast that she does of the other comedians that are there are very, they're they're good too. Now, not too certain about the, you know, in 2021, uh, singling out the black guy to say, at least I know my hubcaps aren't going to be stolen.
0: But (laughs) I'm glad to see Slappy White here today. Now at least I know my hubcaps are... Yeah, that's a little
2: rough. (laughs) That's a little rough, but it's I said, it was 1987 and he seemed to take it with good graces. So, you know, different time and all that. But I said, it definitely doesn't fly now. But going after, as you had mentioned before about seeing Rip Taylor when you were younger, and he just had this guy with an obvious toupee, she makes an obvious toupee joke.
0: And Rip Taylor... Is that a toupee, or did a beaver curl up and die in your head?
3: Yeah, it's right there. It's right. I mean, no joke too obvious seems to be the the go-to for this sketch.
2: And you can see her kids in the front row who, up until this point, had been crying and sad. They were egging her on and clapping her. And, like, it's a genuinely... I mean, they're not the best jokes in the history of the world, but they're funny. And... It, it really makes the ending of the... like it, it makes everything that had happened beforehand better because she's in on it now. She's right. not just a grieving widow. She's actually participating the, in the roast and she's giving back to them on behalf of her husband because that's even what she's up there. You're going to do the rebuttal for Harvey. And it's right. great. Like I said, I think it's a great way to end it.
0: As um, I look at Henny Youngman today... So sure we're bearing the right
2: guy. <laughs> Partnered with the first movie we watched, critics' corner section. I think it all works together. Like if, if I'd have seen this as like a ten minute short, as just a, in one go or a twelve minute short, I'd have been very happy with it. Like it, it works.
3: Yes, and the the previous sketch does work as a great. Well, I don't know about great, but as a good setup for for this punchline that. The, you know, the, this, this guy is, is roasted to death and then roasted after death. Yeah.
2: It's good. Um, and I said her jokes are legitimately got
3: chuckles. And that, again, that actress, you, you singled out her, her performance in the previous sketch. And she's very good here, too, at, at striking a very, what well, must be a very challenging balance of playing distraught and then also leaning into being able to, Pull off these these uh these broad gags. Yeah, maybe
2: it just goes to show. And uh, just <laughs> as you said, erection jokes are always
3: going to be funny. <laughs> yeah, certain things always land. I I, uh, I will I will admit to uh, enjoying occasional video compilations of people falling over.
2: Oh yeah, I mean what what's that the classic Simpsons gag
3: about? Um, is it is it?
2: Barney makes a movie
3: oh and oh the gets, the guy getting hit in the crotch that works on so many levels the, yeah
2: <laughs> and then and then when he gets to finally get to the oscar thing it's the remake with george c scott that gets the <laughs> oscar
3: <laughs> oh man i'd forgotten about that. oh the sampsons that's no, just that's so good, good it's like george c scott going down and going
2: oh my nuts
3: <laughs> yeah some things always work they appeal to the basest parts of our brains, perhaps, that they always work. <laughs> so, on that note, is there anything else? Anything else we want to say about this particular bit before we wrap it up?
2: I think uh, I think it's filmed in a good way. Like we were saying in, in the first episode, that it didn't really feel like Joe Dante. This felt like Joe Dante. Like when when you told me it was Joe Dante uh, or Dante, um, yeah. I, this this feel like a lot of the jokes in this feel. Like the kind of one-liners that would pop up in like inner space, sure. You know, um, and and that's like that's where I'm, I, I felt like a connection to it. And Maybe that's why I enjoyed it more. Um, but also the framing of the shots where it's clearly meant to be a full room that the funeral's in, but we never see any of the other crowd except the two or three people sitting be- behind her. Right.
3: Yeah, it's the it's the. Um the flip shots of her and then the like slightly canted angle looking at the performers up on stage.
2: Yeah. And it's good. It's, it shows a guy who's well used to working within a budget.
3: Yes. 100. Someone who comes from the Corman background of making the, making the best of, of what little bit you have. And of course Dante has that, like that love of, of like anarchic cartoon humor and Looney Tunes. And there is definitely a Looney Tunes aspect to the, the number the number and obviousness of jokes that you get in this bit yeah. like we are one step away from someone slipping on a banana peel <laughs> it would have been good if she'd have slipped on the way
2: up to the stage there's a a little a little show note for you there joe dante
3: yeah next time next time banana peel
2: uh, what about yourself is there anything else that, that pops out to you that you want to you want to draw attention to
3: Uh, I think we covered it pretty well. Um, The uh, uh, another another shout out to the to Robert Picardo and the the um, occasional reaction shots of him. You get doing like kind of cheesy fake MC laughter of like kind of looking out at the like, come on, everybody laugh. This is good. We're having a good time here. He he really he he plays the, the MC MC role here very well. He pulls it off. Yeah, he's got a he's got a. A distinctive voice a distinctive presence and he's he's always a pleasure to when he appears and stuff holographic or (laughs) now so uh do you have anything that you would like to plug before we sign off
2: yeah so i'm new co-host or at this stage hopefully we'll have a couple of episodes out of the judging book covers podcast where um it's effectively like a book club situation except we read bad books that you don't necessarily have to and sometimes we read good books and sometimes we talk about movie adaptations and radio plays and stuff like this um so that's judging book covers and uh, megany and stephanie are the main hosts and, and I, i've been asked to co-host for the foreseeable future so i'm looking forward to that uh, one thing i forgot to say the last day and it should be up by now if you have an inkling or interest in listening to two teenage girls from ireland talking about true crime and hmm. who wouldn't um my students have a podcast at the minute called Criminal Fines. Uh And if you look it up, it's uh, it'll be on SoundCloud. I'm sure it'll be on whatever podcast you're using. Uh, and the two girls are great. They're very intelligent, very hardworking young women. And it's just such... Like, I, I produce it and I'm there when they record recorded. It. It's just a weird thing to hear 16-year-olds just talking so casually about, you know, Ed Gein. And... <laughs> Like, it, it, it's like it, they're completely on Facebook. Like, they, they're not horrified by anything that's happened.
3: Well, I'm looking forward to checking out both of those. Uh, and if for some bizarre reason you want to hear any more of my voice, you can hear me on the uh, Track by Track podcast. Uh, I recorded a series of episodes on the album Trout Mask Replica by Captain Beefheart, uh, produced by Darren Husted, who is also producing this podcast. Uh, and I forgot to mention this last time, but I also do some work with an organization called Creators Assemble. Uh, that promotes the use of comics and role-playing games and pop culture in education. Um, so if you want to follow them at Creators Assemble on Twitter or on Instagram, uh, they do a lot of cool stuff. I'm occasionally involved, uh, but please don't let that deter you. It's, uh, it is worth your while. Uh, if you want to follow Amazon Women on the Moon podcast on Twitter, it is at A W O T M P and uh thank you again uh ollie brady very much for your time
2: yeah it was an absolute pleasure joe and i hope we get the podcast together sometime maybe i'll get you to come on to judging book covers if you want to read uh, a a mid-level fantasy novel or the new version of whatever shades i'm not sure what megan and stephanie are going to make me read next but i bet you any money it's going to have some sort of seduction scenes in it because they love that I find myself uncomfortable talking about them. Um, <laughs> so if you want to come on and talk about that stuff with me and be another 40-year-old, a roughly 40-year-old man, talking to people about stuff that you don't really want to talk about, you would want
3: Well, it's hard to turn it down when you put it like that. But, uh, it would be an absolute
4: pleasure. Brilliant. All right. Bye, everybody.
3: Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening.
4: Avi, keep it down!